Wrestling with God is an invitation to bring your questions, your doubts, and your frustrations to God, to engage in the struggle of flesh and faith. Those who wrestle acknowledge that they will never have all the answers, but know that the wrestling is still worth it. On this podcast, we hold space for those who have engaged in the struggle, and we invite you to join us as we sit in the tension of faith and doubt and press forward in wrestling with God. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wrestling with God, episode five. We are going to talk about what we were always told (laughs) not to talk about as, as Southerners, at least politics and religion. Yay. So we're not sticking to the weather. (laughs) No awkward surface level conversations. We're diving in deep. We are going right in. (laughs) (laughs) I came across a meme recently. It's like a standard social media meme. And it was like, um, how, how much different would our country and culture be if we were actually encouraged to talk about religion and politics in, in like a healthy way? Um, and that went through me like a ton of bricks. Cause I was like, oh yeah, like yeah. The two driving forces of especially American culture are two things that we avoid because we don't know how to talk about those things without getting into knockdown drag out fights with people who disagree with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on that note, I'll say I listened to a podcast called Pantsuit Politics. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. It's fantastic. I've been listening to them for years and they also have a book called, I think you're wrong, but I'm listening, which is just so mm-hmm. great. But that's the first thing that they talk about is like, we're taught not to talk about politics. Um, but we encourage you to, because actually our country was based on like rousing political conversation. And like, that was what people love to do was to sit around and talk about politics. And, you know, we've lost in this whole culture of don't talk about it we've lost the ability to have civil discourse with people who disagree with us. And, and I think that's, that's an important thing to have lost as a culture. Absolutely. And I, I don't think it was ever any more on show than it was in the first presidential um, debate a couple of weeks ago God. in like the two, you know, leaders of the two major um political parties in our country it was a knockdown drag out but i but it was also a mirror of what politics are like in our country right now how divisive they are how partisan they are how violent they can be literally i mean it was an hour and a half of of whatever news network it was on holding a mirror up to ourselves and showing us what our country has become yeah, and it was not good. No. It was not I, a pretty sight. I, I Was it Jake Tapper, CNN's host, as soon as the debate was over, <laughs> he was like, wow, that was a train wreck inside of a dumpster fire inside of a hot mess or something like that. I was like, Casey, my husband and I just sat on the couch and we're like, oh my God, that is so... And then the next anchor, like, 30 seconds later was looked stunned still. I think it was Dana Bash. Mm-hmm. And she was like, 
I don't have any other words for this. And I know I'm not supposed to say this, but that was a shit show. <laughs> and we yeah. were like, oh yeah, like y'all just perfectly described the last hour and a half of my life that I will never get back. So how did religion get us here? <laughs> That's what we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, well, I know for me, and you probably had a similar experience when I was growing up, um, we were Republican, of course, because we were Christian and that was just kind of, that narrative got more and more kind of strong through the years. I, when I look at, um, my parents and just kind of and politics just and how they've changed and how people have changed what I remember the big change that I noticed was talk radio mm. um I remember my parents listening to Rush Limbaugh and we'd listen to it in the car I mean I I loved listening to Rush Limbaugh as a kid but I think um, I think that's really when the vitriol and the lines really started to be drawn politically and, and religiously. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't remember talk radio as much as a kid. My parents were not really into politics like at all. Um, but I do remember even 20 years ago um, in like the mid 90s late 90s early 90s I was alive then um it not being like the idea of politics not being this bad like I remember um my family's uh my dad's side of the family we would get together aunts and uncles for a game of rook um a card game we would sit around for hours and there would be some knockdown drag out conversations over politicians but at the end of the night first of all it was never bad enough that like we split up or you know like it caused divisions in you know um relationships in the family um, but at the end of the night, we were able to put our disagreements aside and hug each other and tell each other that we love each other and we'll see you, you know, this coming weekend for Titan football or something, you know? And I, like, that doesn't happen anymore. First of all, we don't engage in raucous political debate. Mm -hmm. um, and two, I think when we do, that is certainly not the result. It is it is nothing but division and... Um, and hatred yeah the stakes didn't seem so high yeah like when i was growing That's a good up, way of putting it yeah when i was growing up in the 90s like i remember clinton being president and i was a kid and i just knew like clinton bad and like my parents didn't really like him but like there wasn't a sense of like the country's being destroyed mm -hmm. you know um and even i remember when this may have been like the first Bush. And I, I was like, I was pretty young, but I remember like kind of for the first time understanding this is this is the candidate my parents voted for. He's the party that they affiliate with. And I said something like, Bush is a good president, isn't he, mommy? And she was like, 
not really. <laughs> so there is, I remember this sense that like, even, even when your, your candidate won, you could still be ambivalent about him. And or hold them accountable. Right. Yeah. It, right. It, and you just, you don't really, it doesn't really happen anymore. Um, at least not in the Republican ranks, you know, no one in the Republican party. And I'm not talking here about like average everyday voters. I'm talking about Republican politicians. They aren't holding him accountable. They're lining up behind him. And are being shamed if they try to hold him accountable. I think that's yeah. an important thing. Like shamed by him, by his family, by his most loyal followers. Like if you try to hold him accountable, um, yeah, you're you're just shamed into non-existence. Yeah, it's downright dangerous if you're a Republican mm -hmm. to criticize the president. I mean, you could join the Lincoln Project. Yeah. Um, that's really the only place for you. If you're, you're, if you're a Republican who disagrees with Trump, there is no place for people like Mitt Romney who don't necessarily want to join the ranks of the Lincoln Project and actively fight against him, but who would like to call him out um, when he does something wrong. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about how um, there's a crossover between that kind of attitude and that kind of approach and fundamentalism in Christianity. Yeah. Anytime fundamentalism is um, challenged by science or reason, um, there's so many times... I mean, I, I literally have the responses still in my head ready to go of when I was a kid and would be challenged by fundamental doctrine about how, for instance, the earth was made, was created about 5,000 years ago. And science has unquestionably proved that wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and so many other things. And it's like, but those people just stick their fingers in their ears and say, the Bible says this, the Bible says this. And so it's not wrong. And it's the word of God. It's infallible. There are no errors in it at all. And so I don't have to believe you fake news, fake news, fake news. And so in some ways, I think Trump and the um, Republican party are kind of playing into this ideal that's already been set up by fundamental Christianity. I'm going to stick my fingers in my ears, call yeah. anything I do that I don't want challenged fake news, and then also tear you down and be condescending because that's another tactic too. Oh, yes. you're going to hell if you don't get on our side. Like, does that sound familiar? <laughs> like, it, it, it literally is the same conversation. It's the same dialogue. Yeah. So I think the... I So I really wanted to talk about this and I'm pretty sure something made me really angry and I think it it was Sean Foyt um hosting his like worship it's a concert he hosted a concert in oh Nashville. yeah 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 and you know made this whole um 
this whole spiel about how the the church and Christians are being persecuted and we are we're going to worship no matter what this is an act of um civil disobedience that we are being called to do as Christians and it just like it just really infuriated me and I'm pretty sure that's when I messaged you and was like I want to talk about this and um I think that there I think that Christians have this need to believe that they are persecuted and they will find any opportunity to claim persecution and there simply isn't evidence for that in fact there's evidence against it (laughs) right no they're they're running this country as a minority as a minority group they are making decisions and when i say minority i'm not talking about i'm talking about evangelicals here sure sure um they are making decisions on behalf of this country that are that don't reflect the majority of this country and where it's headed and where people would like for it to go yeah. they have a very outsized role it may have once been the majority mm-hmm. but times they are changing yeah and they have found ways even still to maintain control um, and to maintain their outsized influence. I mean, the Electoral College is is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Trump wouldn't be president if it was not for that. Hillary Clinton won by like millions and millions. Three million votes. votes. Yeah. Three million votes. Yeah. And so you can have this guy who was elected by a minority and by sheer, I'm not going to say luck because a lot of it was, you know, the work of Mitch McConnell over the years. Well, Trump made no bones about it that he won in 2016 because he was playing the um, electoral college. He wasn't worried about getting a popular vote. He had his eyes on what was needed to win the electoral college. Um, Yeah. And because of, because of the electoral college, a a president that was elected on a minority vote has had a very outsized role in things like nominating judges and justices to the Supreme court. That's going to affect our country for a long, long time. And so it's really, really unfair whenever people get mad and say, you know, he was fairly elected, he's the president, he should get to nominate who he wants. He was not fairly elected. He was elected in our broken system. Yeah. And a, a large part of that was because Christians got together and lined up behind him. And honestly, that was that was it for me with Christianity, with the Republican party, with, with everything. Let's go back to this persecution complex that Christians have. Um, 
where have you seen it and how has it, how has it stirred up things in you? Cause it, it frustrates me quite a bit. So ironically at seminary this week in almost every one of my classes and they don't get together like the um, professors to like plan out that they're going to talk about the same things each week. But for some reason it came up in almost every single class this week. Maybe it's because we're really close to a presidential um, election. We as Christians, particularly Western American Christians, when we hear scripture read in church, in almost every story there is from scripture, there is the oppressed and the oppressor in some way. We as Western American Christians place ourselves most times in the shoes of the oppressed. And it frames how we live our lives, how we vote, how we make choices in our lives, how we perceive our lives. Uh, but particularly if we're talking about Jesus, Jesus, his main goal, one of his main goals was to free the oppressed, to, to free those who are held captive by powers, manipulation, um, and... And so when Christians place themselves into the shoes of the oppressed rather than of the oppressors, we literally miss the whole point of our religion. Now, that being said, it's made me think about why. Why do we do this? And I'm, I am fully convinced that at least a part of it is because as Americans, we have uh, this idea that uh, that stems back from the whole reason, a lot of the reason that some people came over here to settle this land was because they were being oppressed through religion. Um, and I think that that whole idea has like trickled down generationally and got us to where we are here. Um, but it may have been true back then it is simply not true anymore. Ironically, and this is my whole point, I've taken a thousand minutes to get here, but what's happened, it's the classic situation of the oppressed getting free and then becoming the oppressors. It happens in almost in every situation. As a gay person, I can tell you the day that we run, that we won legal rights in this country to marry, Almost immediately, I saw on social media and in um, um, other platforms, gay people leaving trans people in the rearview mm -hmm. mirror. Their rights all of a sudden didn't matter anymore because we got ours. Now, granted, that wasn't being said explicitly, but that's what was happening. It's like as soon as those who are being oppressed um, taste freedom, taste liberation, Instead of helping other people who are now um, oppressed to get free, they become oppressors. Yeah. And I think that that has happened culturally, generationally. It's just been passed down. Um, we as humans don't know what to do when we taste power. We want to get more of it and get more of it. And that in turn causes us to oppress other people who don't have as much power as we do. And I think that's what, and I think that's part of what we're seeing right now. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. I think 
there's this desire for proximity to privilege. Mm. And so, you know, there's all these hierarchies of privilege. And so as a gay person, you know, you might, you might have a lot of, um, you might be marginalized in a lot of ways, but you're also closer in pro you have more privileges than like a trans person. Sure. And so, you know, even among marginalized groups, there's, there's still hierarchies of privilege. And so I think, and I think this is, this is with, with every group, every, even on an individual level, we're just trying to hold on to as much privilege as we can, even at the expense of other people, because I think we don't, we don't know how to be equitable. I think we don't, we don't know how to live in a just society where other people are disenfranchised in different ways. Yeah. And so we're grasping for proximity to privilege, holding on to every privilege we can be, because that's the only thing that we have. And I think it goes to a basic human instinct of yeah. survival. Yeah. It, it's kind of part of the human condition that we are, I think, biologically wired even to think I have to do everything I can to survive. And one of the things that I can do that is to garner as much power as I can. Yeah. And by doing that, I have to take it away from other people, but it's worth yeah. it because I get to survive and thrive eventually. And to pull Jesus back into this, one of his main teachings was that that actually is not what happens. You yeah. don't lose power by giving it away. Yeah. You don't lose yourself. You don't lose your freedom. You don't lose your liberation by liberating other people. Right. And that, I think, drives so much of what we do. We don't get it. We don't get that showing mercy and showing grace and sharing the abundance that we have with others is only going to enrich the human condition instead of tear us down. Like, yeah, we always need someone who is worse off than us. And, and <clears throat> we also need someone that we aspire to be. And I think that is why people vote against their own interests. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I mean, there's a history of that. I mean, it's a, it's the reason like poor white people would side with slave owners. They didn't own slaves, but they aspired to be that wealthy. And if they, if they vote against them, then that means they're giving up on that, that kind of dream of, of being that wealthy. And so we need and also if they vote, if they voted against that system of slavery, then that would mean that there's no longer someone lower than them. Mm. And we, we need that. And I agree. I think that in my moments that I um, believe in the teachings of Jesus, um, 
and believe that there might be hope for Christianity. In those moments, I believe that that is specifically the system that Jesus was trying to urge humanity out of. I think he was trying to teach us a different way. And I think that's what he means by the last shall be first and the first shall be last. I don't think he was saying that, you know, you should, you should always like give up your place in line, you know, um, so that you'll be honored someday in heaven. I think he was saying that, look, we, you can live in a more equitable society that is possible. And that is how God envisions humanity. And so in those moments where I think maybe, maybe I believe in this, that's what I have to believe. Yeah. That's the Christianity that, that I am drawn to. And it's the only Christianity that I would be interested in. Totally get that. Unfortunately, we're not seeing that at work today. We're seeing a Christianity that is convinced of its own, um, of its own persecution and its own victimhood. And that Christianity is dangerous. You know, we have a pandemic right now and so much human suffering in so many ways. And Christians, this should be the time when Christianity thrives, when Christianity is at its best, when there is great human suffering That's when Christianity should be like, yes, this is our time. This is when we step in. Yeah. Yeah. And make things better. But they're making it worse. Yeah. Because it's all about them. Yeah. Any sort of hide themselves to see the hurting of the world. Yeah. It's not other people are hurting and other people are at risk, even when I might not be. It's you're trying to take away my liberties and you're trying to persecute me by telling me that I can't worship God. What it should be is I worship God by caring and loving for my neighbors. Yes. Those are literally the words of Jesus. When you have done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. I mean, literally that's what Jesus said. But how did that become you worship me by disobeying the law and hosting these, you know, concerts let's call them what they are they're concerts um in these cities with 10,000 people openly disobeying disregarding and and proud of it think how how did that and, become and that god is on your side too yeah. like literally you're taking it that far yeah no they think that they're standing up for christ I'll tell you one thing. God does not need that from you. Thank you. If Thank if you. God needs you to stand up for him or else what he dies, then God is small and not worth your worship. Exactly. Bingo. What God does need is our hands and feet and voices in the world taking care of those who need help and who need to be fed and who need to be cared for. That's what God needs. And, and there's a lot of that need right now. There is a shit ton of that need right and now. And Christians are not rising to the occasion. A pivotal moment of my 
own deconstruction process and some reconstruction was at the Wild Goose Festival. This has been probably three or four years ago. Nadia Boltzweber was there and love her, by the way, if you're listening, chances are you're not, but that's okay. Someday. Uh, <laughs> uh, she was um, talking about the Beatitudes and the um, blessed are the poor for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven, you know, the list from the Sermon on the Mount. And she said, we get in our heads that like, and we've been told for a long time that Jesus is saying that, um, that in order to be blessed, you have to be meek, you have to be poor, you have to be all of those things. And granted, that may have been what he was saying. We don't really know. There's no translation key that's been um, handed down for us to use with the Bible. But she proposed a different idea. She proposed that in that moment, Jesus was actually showing us how to live and how to treat other people by saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger, blessed are those who suffer. He was actually holding up and giving a blessing. He was putting value into the lives of people whose society had said there was no value those who are poor, those who are suffering, those people are the people that society cast away. And Jesus was saying, screw you, I'm not going to cast those people away. In fact, I'm going to call them blessed. I'm going to elevate them to a level of value and worth that you don't give to those people. And when Nadia Boltzweber said that, I sat there and was just like taken aback. And it was one of those watershed moments for me where um, I was being challenged to look at scripture and the stories in the Bible in a different way than I had been raised to, in a way that actually convicts me of my human tendency to oppress other people. Yeah. Like that was, that was a watershed moment for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Sorry, I had to just sit and think for a minute. No, it's and okay. it's it's unfortunate. I don't, I just don't see, I know that voice is there. Um, I just don't see enough of it. You know, I feel like the evangelical voice is just drowning out so much of that. Jesus was challenging power. He, he, he challenged people that had accumulated power and wealth and was lording it over other people. And so, of course, this kind of religion is not going to make the news or be popular because it, it challenges us as human beings to be mm -hmm. different than who we, to be better than who we are. And we say no over and over and over again. Over and over. Yeah, because yeah. we want that proximity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's, let's do an exercise. Imagine it's 2021. <laughs> I've seen this in memes. <laughs> Joe Biden is president. We're just, we're going to use our imaginations to 
create a fantasy world that looks a lot like <laughs> our pre-Trump, pre-COVID world. Uh-huh. Nothing uh-huh. exotic. But it's 2021. We have a vaccine. The pandemic is over. We can hang out again. We can go to bars again. What do you do? What's what's something that you're gonna that you're gonna do and just like relish? Um, God, there's so many things. Like entering into this fantasy is like. So should we uh, narrow it down a bit? Well, no. Like, but. I, I feel all kind of endorphins being released right now, just like thinking about this happening. You know what? This is so domestic of me to say, but I am most looking forward to grocery shopping. Oh my God. We have been doing nothing but pickup orders, and my husband will probably hate to hear me say this because he hates grocery shopping. What? I love spending two hours in a grocery store. Me too. Smelling of the cantaloupes, picking a grape while the person's not looking so I can eat it and make sure that they taste good. Like, yeah. I love the experience of grocery shopping. And so that's one big thing for me. Another big thing is live music of any kind. At this point, I don't even care what it is. I'm a musician, have been my whole life, and I have not realized until now how how much life I get out of music on such deep, 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 deep levels of my being. Those, Those are like the two, those are the two major things. What do you do in the fantasy world of 20? Well, okay. So I like to think of um, scenarios. I imagine like a backyard cookout. Mm. I have friends over. We have a cooler full of beers and we're eating hamburgers and brats and just, just laughing about how crazy the last year was and how much we've missed each other. And we're swatting mosquitoes and the air smells like flowers. And I mean, it's like, I really get, um, and that's just something that in, in other years would have been a very normal thing, but I'm realizing how much it just sounds like, like a wonderful fantasy now. Do you have hope in this election? Oh, girl, that's a hard question. (laughs) What I do know is going through the tough shit is a necessary part of healing. And I think our country has brushed so many things under the rug and numbed ourselves to so much pain in our country's history. We have, we have never reckoned with all the travesties that we have done that have been done on our behalf. And I think what we're going through right now I don't want to sound too like woo woo, but I think it's a necessary part of growth. I think that we, we are, we are, we are being forced to do something that we could have made a choice to do before now. Um, So many things 
have been in a pressure cooker for so long, yeah. racism, especially systemic racism in this country, that it was bound to come to a head and explode. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now. And it's forcing us to do the work of facing our pain and, 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 and dealing with our history, something that we've been avoiding for a long time. So in that way, Again, I don't want to sound too woo-woo, but I'm trying to interpret what we're going through as a necessary part of getting to where we want to be. At the start of the pandemic, there were a lot of people that were like, we'll never go back to normal. We'll like, there, there will never be a normal again. Um, and there will be, there will be a new normal. Bingo. There will be a new normal, but that's also a choice. We have to make a choice to deal with what we're going through address it and not brush it under the rug like we've done with every with a lot of other things in our country's history. So in that way, I'm finding hope that this is a necessary part of the process. Yeah, I agree with that. And Rob Bell talks about that a lot too. And he's so eloquent and he, you know, he talks about this political climate as like, it's just, it's the tension in the rubber band, mm-hmm. you know, of course it's springing back. You know, we every time society of any kind makes some kind of social progress, there's always a backlash. Yeah. And I think he's right. I don't I don't know if I or if he expected things to be this extreme. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it. And I think our refusal to reckon with with our collective sins I think we're reaping a lot of shit right now that we have sown yeah and I'm not talking about just from the past 10 or 20 years I'm talking about historically sure yeah because we have never we've never dealt with it we don't even like to acknowledge it our very president has said it's it's unpatriotic to talk about slavery Another way of saying that is it's un-American to talk about slavery. It is, it is not, it is, it is not one of our identifying characteristics as Americans. Yes. And I I think in general, we need to get back to a better, more healthy uh, definition of patriotism because patriotism to me has, has never, ever been, you don't criticize your country. That's nationalism. And that's completely yeah, different. I and yeah. I think we need a national conversation on, on the difference between those two. Otherwise, we're just going to be putting band-aids. I mean, even if Biden is elected and <clears throat> a lot of <clears throat> progressive policies are passed in his term, I we're just going to be putting band-aids if we don't reckon with our collective national sins. And if we don't come up with a better definition of patriotism that enables people to confidently critique what they see happening without being without being told that they hate their country. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. We're never, we're never going to move further. We're never going to progress.
So what are you getting into lately? So I am just going to go be really boring and uh, domestic and say that I'm really into the fall colors right now. <laughs> yeah, <that's not> boring. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. I loved living in South Georgia for a lot of reasons, being in close proximity to the beach. Like there were, there are, there are a lot of reasons, but I also really missed living in middle Tennessee. Yeah, I, I think it is the perfect location in the country to experience the four seasons equally and to get this just incredible amount of color uh, right now. I agree. I mean, you and I are very similar in our <clears throat> our love of fall. Um, and so when I when I moved to Florida for a while, I like you, there are things I really love about Florida. Um, proximity to the beach. Um, for half the year, it's just gorgeous. It's just, it's, it's like heaven here. And from like January to April, but I, so every October I would get seriously depressed and homesick because I, it was like, my brain was expecting like fall, fall weather, fall colors, and it never happened. Yeah. And so it was really, so I had to really get used to and get my brain in the mindset of, okay, this isn't September, October. It's not fall. It's summer light. It's <laughs> a little nicer. It's not as hot. So it, it is better than like July and August, but it's, this, this is the new normal. And so once I kind of accepted that, I'm like, oh, cool. Like I get more time to go to the beach than other people. And, um, you know, so we're entering it. So I'll just go ahead with my, what I'm getting into now. We're getting into some much nicer weather. So I've been spending more time outside. We have this gorgeous front porch on our front house, on the front of our house. And so I've been spending a lot of time out there after, like, after I finished work. And I also got, um, I got a sweet orange tree and a so Taiwanese cherry, and I'm going to be planting those in the front yard. And I got a new azalea bush. And so like that with my um, Japanese magnolia. I'm just like, I can't wait for spring, which here starts in like January. I just, yeah, yeah. I'm so looking forward to it. We're coming up on my favorite time of the year. And I'm just like, I'm gearing up. I'm getting my yard, getting all the things that I want to be smelling and seeing when they start to bloom in the early spring. Like I'm, I'm getting those put in the ground and I'm really excited. What's your, you ain't gonna believe this shit. Oh, I don't know that. I don't know if I have one. I haven't, I haven't thought about it yet. Yeah. I, I feel like everything lately is, <laughs> you ain't gonna believe this one, shit. One giant segment of you ain't gonna believe this shit. Yeah. This whole episode, because there's just so much hypocrisy and just stuff in the news, like Sean Voigt. However you say his name, I like to say it a different way, mm -hmm. um, is like he's at the top of my shit list. Like, I'm just so tired of hearing his name. 
I'm so tired of seeing him go like hit doing, I mean, it's an ego tour. That's what it is. He's doing an ego tour around the country, going to these cities uninvited because he thinks that worship and revival can only happen if he brings it. That yeah. is the ego and the arrogance. And that to me is like indescribable. And it is so frustrating to me that people don't see through that. I got really angry when I saw that he went to Nashville. And had that big outdoor concert. Yeah. I, I won't name names, but someone that I know was involved in kind of helping facilitate that and in um, performing baptisms. And I think he gave one of the prayers and I'm very frustrated by that. Very frustrated by that. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm really looking forward to not seeing him around anymore. And also, did you have you seen this campaign called Break Glass? I posted about it on Instagram. I, no, I don't think I saw it. So it's like this, it's like this campaign from some evangelical leaders where they are coming out and saying why they're against Donald Trump. Oh no, I did. I did see it. Yeah, it has like like Beth Moore as part of it. Uh-huh. Um who she came out for LGBTQ rights like yeah. not that long ago. She's been a pretty outspoken like you know proponent of a lot of kind of progressive stuff for evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Um progressive among evangelicals, but um yeah, I've been <laughs> I think I tweeted one day like I never thought that I would agree with Beth Moore, but here we are. I don't remember exactly what it was she said, but um, yeah. And John Piper has come out and he hasn't said, he wrote an article and I haven't read it yet. I just kind of got the highlights, but the impression is that he is not going to vote for Trump. Mm. And that's a pretty big deal. John Piper is like about as evangelical as Mm. they come. So I'm I'm encouraged by that. I think it's something that honestly they should have done a long time ago. But it's a step. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My you ain't gonna believe this shit is something that was all over the news headlines, but I think it's worth mentioning because it really I just could not believe it. And it is when our president went to a church in Las Vegas oh. Sunday. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see it? Yes, I did. And uh, there were praise dancers in the background during the service. Fine, whatever. There are actually some Episcopal churches that have liturgical dancers. It's much more tasteful, I do have to say. But I, I just don't understand the whole thing. But they had flags and they were like gold LeMay flags at first. And then when the pastor started talking about the president and like prophesying over the president, the praise dancers switched their flags to these like American flags that were like emblazoned with the Statue of Liberty. 
and stuff and started waving them. And it was this literal marriage of like the Christian faith and um, fundamental polit- uh, the merger, this marriage of the Christian faith and um, right-wing politics. Yeah. Um, and I was like, wow, we are here. Like I, like, I won't even comment on the fact that the president has only been to church like a handful of times in the last year and, and like, um, and how it was such a show and it was clearly a campaign stunt and um, the people in the pews like clearly didn't see it that way. I, I, I won't even talk about that. It was that these flags were being used and I have a problem with like American flags even being in worship spaces at all. Me too. Uh, and we can go into that later, but it was just seeing these flags being twirled around while like Christian, I'm holding up air quotes for those of you who can't see, uh, while these people were like worshiping while, while Christian music was playing. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Just a reminder, you can find us on Instagram at WrestlingWithGodPod. I don't think we need to tell our listeners in the United States to vote, but I think it's worth just throwing out there. I'm not going to preach at you to vote. If you're listening to us, you're probably going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but vote early if you can. I'm Megan Merrick. And I'm Gabriel Perkins Lawrence. And, and we, we approve, approve this, this message. message.